The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Claim your risk free bet up to $500 over at sportsgamepodcast.com slash bet rivers, sportsgamepodcast.com slash bet rivers. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Plus, this Monday and Tuesday, everything is 20% off in the merch store with the promo code CYBER. Store.sportscampockets.com, promo code CYBER. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently early Tuesday morning, November 28th, and I'm your host, always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Been a while. Nice to be back. Unfortunately, the ETP calendar gave us a built-in break of about a week or so because the final of the ETP finals, which just so happened to be between Djokovic and Sinner, ended, and then you had no tennis action for about a week. So we are going to be back now for what should be three episodes for the final ATP event of the year. It is time to get into the next-gen ATP Finals. So just to be clear about the actual order that the ATP schedule has, they have the basically the tour finals between the best players in the world, and then after that, they have the... I don't want to call it the Rising Stars Challenge, basically, of what like the All-Star Game used to be or the Rookie Sophomore Challenge, but it's kind of the same idea. They want to give a showcase opportunity to all the young up-and-coming players who are maybe a bit unknown, but you get a chance to learn a bit more about and to watch them play. So the whole purpose is to basically give the young guys a platform uh, that they can show to the general public that they are the... I don't want to say the future faces of tennis, but yeah, my point is a way to show some underrated talent that might be blossoming in years in the upcoming years. For example, Alcaraz won in 2021. Uh, he was still a relative phenom, but you get my point. The point is Alcaraz ended up winning this before he had his massive explosion. So that's a good example. Sinner won it in 2019. Paz won it in 2018. And you also had Rublev who made a final in 2017. So there has been a decent amount of top 10 talent in this event, at least they turned into top 10 talent, but it was before they had their rise. So it's a nice, uh, potentially first taste uh, for a lot of fans to actually experience certain players that they might not be aware of who might become just, I'd say, staples in the top 10 moving forward. So I'll get into the actual field and I'll get into the overall rules for this event in a second. Before getting to any of that, I do want to recap what happened in the last episode for the final of the ETP Finals. Unfortunately, did go 0-2 with those picks. We thought Djokovic would win, but we did think Sinner would put up more of a fight as Sinner got curb-stomped in that match. We had Djokovic over for the team total. Unfortunately, that didn't get there. That was a 12 and a half, and Sinner got broken immediately in the second set. Had a pretty rough game there in the first set where I believe he was up 40-15, and then he ended up getting broken, and Djokovic did not get broken in the entire match. Sinner had a bunch of chances in the second set to potentially break back and make it interesting, at least for us, because we had the team total over 12.5. Couldn't do it, squandered every chance, and Djokovic eventually won uh, in a pretty convincing scoreline. So picked up a loss there for the dog. Ended up losing as we ended up having Sinner and Djokovic first set over 10.5. That didn't get there either, as I thought there was maybe a slight chance the moment would be too big for center, and it appears that it was, but unfortunately he got broken immediately in the first set, and Djokovic held from that point forward. So went 0-2 there, but Djokovic did win to kind of put a stamp on a dominant year. I'm going to get into the match he played after that, but still. The point is Djokovic won three Grand Slam titles, lost in the finals of the other one, and he also won the Masters 1000 in Paris, and he also ended up winning the ATP Finals. 
That's a hell of a year. I didn't even mention all the other events that he won. That was below the Masters 1000 level. But the point is, Djokovic is still clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. And we saw that in the ATP uh, Tour Finals because he was able to beat not just Sinner, but also Alcaraz in straight sets convincingly. So Djokovic, we know, is still in great form. He's not slowing down. He's going for all the records, including Connor's record for most titles. So we'll see what happens. But the point is, Djokovic is still... Djokovic, and he's not slowed down at all. Now, to get into Sinner, he had a bit of a, once again, disappointing showing, how it was in his home country. He made a great run to make the final, beat Djokovic in the group stage. You can argue that he should have intentionally lost to Rune in the final match to eliminate Djokovic, but he just wanted to go for the win. The point is, Sinner was probably upset about what happened, especially after beating Djokovic earlier in the same event. And then the Davis Cup came around because they faced off in the semifinals and Djokovic had a chance to send Serbia through to the final. And unfortunately, Djokovic, it was a hell of a match. Djokovic ended up uh, going down a set immediately. Sinner opened up a big lead in the first set, won comfortably. Then Djokovic came back in the second set, won relatively easily. Third set was a war, but Djokovic had three match points at 4-5. So he had three breakpoint chances, and you assume Djokovic is going to convert. He was threatening for a decent amount of those center service games in the third set, at least compared to center in his return games. But the point is, Djokovic had three chances to end the match and to propel Serbia into the Davis Cup final, and then he didn't convert. Sinner fought him off, and then Sinner immediately got the boomerang break, so he went from facing triple match point to holding, and then immediately breaking Djokovic the game after, and then he closed it out to win 7-5 in the third set. I don't want to call it a massive choke job by Djokovic because he wasn't serving for it. He was returning, but still, normally you expect Djokovic to close that out, but Sinner showed a lot of resilience, and you ended up seeing Sinner respond well to adversity, after getting embarrassed by Djokovic about a week or two prior. But Sinner ended up carrying his country to the Davis Cup final with that Djokovic comeback, and then they ended up winning comfortably in the final. So uh, I believe that was against Australia that they ended up winning in the final again. So Sinner and Italy ended up winning the Davis Cup. Congrats to them. But the point is, Sinner, I do think, uh, has shown growth once again. And even though he kind of no-showed that final in... Uh, Turin, he did respond well after facing Djokovic for about the second time or third time in, a, in about a week or two, and he won two out of the three. So Sinner appears poised to potentially win a Grand Slam next year. We'll see what happens, but Sinner wanted to mention that Davis Cup matchup because you did have a rematch of the ATP Finals final about a week later, and Sinner did get revenge. But anyway, not really much more to add. Time to get into the actual tournament preview for the next-gen ATP Finals. For starters, a new venue. So I'm not sure if the history actually matters, especially since you're looking at guys who just don't compete here anymore. You have Nakashima, who won last year. You might remember we actually dominated this tournament last year as we ended up getting pretty much everything right, including Nakashima winning the thing. But Nakashima won and then proceeded to have a disastrous 2023 year. So not every person who wins this tournament is guaranteed to have a dominant follow-up year, but that has been the case for the most part in this event. But Nakashima is the exception. He won and then kind of fizzled out, beat Laheshka in the final. You had Alcaraz beating Korda in 2021. 2020 was COVID, so it did not take place. 2019, Sinner ended up beating Dimenauer. 2018, Sitipas beat Dimenauer. And then you had He Young Chung, who I still miss. I know he had tried to have a comeback tour this year, got injured again, sucked. But either way, 
Uh, at least it sucks that he got injured because I was a big fan of his. And you might remember he was the guy who randomly beat Djokovic in straight sets in the Australian Open of all places. But Chung ended up beating Rublev in the first year this was held. So once again, you have five different winners in the five years it's been held. Not a shocker because a lot of guys who either win the event or participate don't exactly participate again. Now, Dimonau is an exception because he ended up being the runner-up back-to-back years. But Alcaraz, for example, did win in 2021. He's still very young. He could have potentially done it again, but of course he would rather focus on the regular ATP finals, and he decided to pass. Shelton decided to pass. You had a couple other guys who are top 20, top 15, who decided that it wasn't worth their time, and as a result, we do have what looks like a relatively weak field, but once again, you can see a couple of these guys blossom into future top 20 players in the next couple of years, but the point is the history really doesn't matter, but I do want to mention this is the first year it is being held in Saudi Arabia. It was in Milan for each of the first five years. So as a result, I can't exactly base anything on court speed, etc., because this is a new venue. So keep that in mind. But to go through the main elephant in the room for this event, the rules, because the rules are kind of absurd and they're very, very weird, but I have to mention them. So first things first, every match is a best of five. And you might be thinking, well, that's a great deal. That means each match is going to take about three hours and change. Not quite, because it's each each set is not to six games or seven. Each set is actually to four. And if it's 3-3, three, three, you go to a tiebreaker. Still seven points, uh, first to seven, we win by two. But the point is, you're looking at a weird format where it's best of five sets, but it is going to be the first to four games in each set wins the set. So if you are looking at totals and you see like a 22 and a half, 23 and a half, remember that it's not based on the normal two out of three first to six in a set format. They have specific uh, rules for the sets and the length for the sake of this tournament, which is why you can argue this event's kind of dumb because the actual, I really just think that the best of five scenario with the first to uh, Four games is absurd. I mean, some of the youngest players on tour, let them at least play some serious tennis. But the point is, it's going to be a pretty fun event to showcase some skills. But keep that in mind. The rules are unlike anything you will see for the rest of the calendar year. Now, as for the other reasons why I'm kind of against the rules for this event, there is no deuce. You go straight to... First, it's uh, I forgot the exact. Is it sudden death is the word they use uh, for doubles that they do it on? But if it's 40 40 and you go to deuce, the person who wins the next point wins the game. So keep that in mind. Once again, that kind of adds to the weird dynamic that this event actually has. Besides that, they are actually kind of implementing some experimentation for uh, time wasting or preventing time wasting. So to go through some of the new rules that have not been here for the last couple of years the tournament's been held, you have no on-court warm-up. You do the coin toss, and then you have the match starting, which I find kind of weird. The main one, though, is going to be the shot clock reduction, because there's now a maximum of eight seconds between the first and second serves. So if there's 11 the first or second serve as well, then you are going to be looking at the... Uh, server having to quickly get into the second service motion, which I find a little bit weird, but the point is, I do think you are looking at a spot where I expect to see potentially some clock violations early because it's going to be something unique that we've not seen all year long, and based on previous years, the time between points will be reduced from 25 to 15 seconds if the previous point includes fewer than three shots. So if you have an ace, for example, you have to serve quickly, 
15. Once again, there's a lot of nuances to the rules, so keep that in mind. I'm not sure if it's going to actually impact anything from a betting perspective besides the actual rules of the set length and the overall number of sets. But for the sake of these rules and innovations, the point is it's going to be an interesting trial run because if this goes well, there's probably a decent chance you're going to see shot clock reductions in tennis moving forward on the regular tour and not just in this random next-gen ATP finals event. But to look at some other uh, just quickly uh, going through uh, reading some of the unique innovations. They have some stuff involving uh, like wearables to track biometric data. I don't really care. Uh, insight same as same thing as there as the that uh, you have in match analytics uh, where there's a tennis IQ platform available for coaches sitting courtside to give them up to date data, which sounds pretty standard nowadays. Don't really have anything else. Uh, they have a lower chair umpire to reduce the visual obstructions for fans in the arena. And you have line electric line calling remains in place for all the line calls, so there will be no actual lines people, which we have seen uh, happen more often in the big events. There has been some exceptions. ATP Tour Finals in Turin, for example, did still have a challenge system, but that will not be in existence here. It'll be like the US Open, where everything's automatically going to be subject to an electric line call, and as a result, there are no challenges, and you're going to be able to see this tournament being played, at least the matches, being played a lot quicker. But once again, should be pretty interesting, and I do think it's going to be a very good just experience for overall tennis to see how these rules are implemented and to see if there's something they should keep, something they should get rid of. But you might see some expansion, for example, for the shot clock or the serve clock moving forward in most events, if this is successful. So keep that in mind. But anyway, time to actually get into the purpose of the episode, which is going through the futures for the next-gen finals in Saudi Arabia. Like the ATP finals, the regular one, you do have two groups, so it is a round-robin stage. You have the green group, and you have the red group. I'll get into the actual odds to win the group, then I'll get into the odds for the actual title lifting. But unlike the last event in the ATP finals, I do not have player to advance to the semis. I only have winner of the group, so it is a bit different. But to go through the odds here, by the way, to mention the actual field, the green group is going to be Phils, Stricker, Nardi, and Kaboli. And the red group is going to be Mickelson, who you might remember ended up making a deep run there in Rhode Island before losing to Manorino a couple months ago. You have Vanasha, you have Majedovic, and you also have uh, Shelbe as the long shot there at 4-1 to one in, in the uh, red group. But the point is, you are going to be seeing, uh, I don't want to say a, a relatively top-heavy group, but I think it's pretty telling that a lot of people who listen to the show who don't actively bet qualifiers probably know a lot more about Phils and Stricker than they do know about, for example, Shelbe or Kaboli, for example. Maybe you've seen them in passing, or Nardi, for example, guys who have been good on Challenger Circuit, but you have not exactly seen them play that much. This is a good chance to actually see them play against what could be future top 10, 15 guys. If you watch Phil's this year, you know, he's capable of being a serious top five, top 10 guy as the future face of French tennis. Stricker, we saw make a deep run here last year, and he ended up making a pretty good run in the U.S. Open. So we do know that some of these guys have already shown flashes, but for the most part, you are looking to see them break through in the next couple of years. But to get into the actual groups, starting off with the green group, you have Phil's the favorite at plus 130. You have Stricker at plus 190. You have Nardi at 450. And you have Kaboli at 5-1. to one. Now, Kaboli, I've watched on several occasions. He's a fun player. He's got some firepower. Mostly a clay guy, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not exactly picking Kaboli, and that's why he's the biggest long shot on the 
uh, group card. But to look at the favorites here, Phil's we've seen have moments. He hasn't exactly been in great form lately. But once again, the issue that you have trying to balance out is recent form versus strength of competition. Because you're looking at some guys, for example, you're looking at Nardi, who's been in great form in challenger level recently. The problem is it's challenger level. So now he's going to have a step up of competition. So I'm not sure if I can immediately pencil him in as being a serious dark horse candidate or not if a lot of his recent success is based on weaker opponents. For example, Phil's is currently ranked 36th in the ATP level. But to go through the recent performances from Nardi, he ended up winning a title in Matsuyama, beat Taro Daniel in the final. Then he made it a pretty deep run in Kobe, Japan. Ended up losing in straight sets to Shimabukuro. And then he ended up losing to Momo in Japan once again. So once again, he's made some runs. He's ended up beating... Uh, he ended up beating a couple of decent players, but when you're looking at some of the guys he did beat, it is a relatively weak field. Uh, Shin Bakoro, for example, is ranked in the 140s. He lost to him in straight sets, but he did make a final, which he won. Made another deep run right after it, but you have to at least try to acknowledge that it is weaker competition because he has been a very successful challenger-level player. And I put extra emphasis on challenger because it takes a lot of patience sometimes or maybe some adjustments to actually succeed in the regular top level tour and to go through some of the opponents for example Nardi ended up beating Ichikawa beat Holmgren beat Pullman's and lost to Bakoro, beat Chung different Chung beat uh Ivanovsky uh Ivanovsky and ended up beating uh for example to go back even further in Matsuyama beat a couple of relative unknowns. So the point is, you're looking at Nardi being in good form, but is he ready to take the leap and to potentially dethrone Phils or Stricker to win this quarter or to win this group? I don't think so. I think Nardi is a good player. He's definitely shown that he's a pretty dominant challenger level player at times. But I do think he's going to need more experience facing off against the top of the top in this actual event, or at least in the ATP Tour. And I do think because of that, he's going to struggle in this spot. But to look at Nardi, for example, just to go through his actual age, he's still very young. A lot of these guys are. Nardi is currently 20, so he still has a lot of time to grow his game. But he's been successful in Challenger. I'm just going to be skeptical of him uh, carrying that success into this particular event, especially with the group being relatively tough, because Phils and Stricker I think are definitely the best two players here. Now, Kaboli, I'm eliminating because I don't see him winning. I think he's easily the fourth best player uh, in this group, which means he's the worst player. I'm just being generous based on the wording. But I do think Stricker is pretty live to win this at plus 190. We gave him out to win the group last year, and he did. And a big reason why we did it is because we know he's a good server. And the fact is, a reminder, that each set is going to be to four games. And at 3-3, three, three, you go to a tiebreaker. And what happened last year was Stricker kept holding, and he kept winning tiebreaks. And as a result, he ended up winning the group. So I do think that's a pretty reasonable outcome once again, for this quarter for Stricker, where he doesn't exactly do much breaking, but the lefty serve, which is unique, the underrated uh, net skills, can do enough to keep opponents off guard, shorten the points, and potentially steal some sets in breakers. And I do think because of that, I think Stricker is pretty live at plus 190, especially with the experience, because he did end up participating here last year, or at least in this event, different venue. Ended up losing to Laheshka in the semis, but at least he made it out of the group, and he was very successful. So I do think looking at this overall spot... I have to go chalk here. I think that Phils and Stricker are the two best players here. Nardi's interesting at 450 if you do think some of that 
recent form carries over into this event. But I have to at least acknowledge it was against pretty weak competition compared to Phils and Stricker. Caboli, I'm not going to take, but give me Phils and Stricker as my picks to win the group. My main pick, I think, would be Stricker because I do think that the odds are better at plus 190, at least for a guy that's not only well-equipped to handle these shorter sets, but a person who's experienced to the rules and to this weird format, I think that gives him an advantage that a lot of guys don't have. Because I mentioned before, Dimenauer made the final in back-to-back years. That's pretty rare. A lot of guys don't participate the second year after participating in the first year. And I do think that Stricker is going to use that experience and build on it. But I do like the fact that he's experienced with the actual formatting. And as a result, he's going to be my main pick at plus 190. But I can't avoid Phils because Phils is still, in my opinion, the most talented player in this section. And I think he is definitely going to be a future top 10, top 15 player. Moving on to the red group, you have Mickelson, the American, at plus 190. You have Vanash at plus 210. You have Majedovic at plus 275. And you have Shelby as the long shot at 4-1. to one. Now, Shelby, I'm not going to take. I think he might uh, have a couple of moments where maybe he wins a set or two, but I really don't see him getting it done. I have not seen enough at the ATP level for him to be a guy that I think is a true dark horse. Now, Majedovic is a guy that I like his game in general. The problem is that he's been in really bad form lately, and I do think that he's in line to potentially struggle in this group, especially with his double fault issues and his tendency to short circuit or his impatience tends to get the better of him. But to go through his recent matches in the challenger level and just in the last couple of events, even at at the ATP level. So he made a deep run at Astana, where we actually took him to win the event, ended up losing to Korda in three sets, all tie breaks. Went to Antwerp, lost to Blocks, ended up going to Basel, lost to Hassan, then went to Sofia, lost to O'Connell, three-set war there, but still lost. Then went to a challenger event in Sweden, beat Travaglia in the first round, and then ended up losing to Mensik. You might remember him making a relatively deep run in the U.S. Open, and he lost that one in three sets. So I do think Majedovic is going to be another tiebreaker guy. So you can argue that works for or against him. But the fact that he has been in bad form and the fact that he has lost to go through the numbers five of his last six matches, I question his form. And I think that you might make an argument for a guy that young who's kind of going through it. There is a chance Majedovic just gets down early. Maybe lose the first match in this group and then kind of checks out. And that is my concern. So I do think that Majedovic is a guy that I like his overall talent. And I do think if you have faith and him to maintain his composure, he will be trying to follow the same script that Stricker does, which is trying to win breakers and trying to use his good serve. But I have to at least point out the form has not been there since that run in Astana. As a result, I am kind of scared off of it. Where Stricker, for comparison, by the way, to go through his recent performances, he's been... Sorry, just pulling it up quickly while this thing loads. So Stricker, for comparison... Uh, in his last couple of matches, has been hit or miss, but he has won a couple rounds. Did beat Rude, for example, in Basel. Ended up getting injured, though, in a challenger event in Germany right before this, but that was on the 11th, so he's had about 17 days off, so he should be healthy. But the point is, Stricker has been in okay form lately, had a win against Rude, ended up losing in three sets to Umber. Decent showing there because Umber eventually won a title uh, later on in that same month. But you are looking at a spot where Stricker, I just think, has the experience. Majedovic has been known to short-circuit a bit, double-faulting issues of concern, so I do think that he's going to probably struggle in this tournament. But I guess the question that I have here is if I think Mickelson should be a favorite, 
despite really showing nothing on the ATP level. Now, when I say it, I should say the ATP hardcore uh, season because he ended up making the final in Rhode Island, had a nice run there, serve was good, and he ended up beating Isner, for example, and then ended up losing in the final to Manorino. But you look at his matches on hardcore after that, at least at the ATP level, and it wasn't great. Now, you can argue that was maybe some jitters, and he got that out of his system, and now it'll look a little bit more sharp. Plus, that's against top-tier talent. And you're looking at this field being more of a hybrid between ATP youngsters who are really good, or at least they're blossoming, and challenger-level players trying to make the leap. But Mickelson, to go through his results on hard court after that run in Newport. So to look at the results here, uh, sorry, just quickly pulling it up. So Newport made the final, lost to Manorino. Then went to Atlanta, immediately lost to Cressy in straight sets, went back to challenger events, ended up uh, beating Hong, lost to Gojo in three. Gojo's a good player. Then ended up going to Winston-Salem, beat Varius, ended up beating Offner, and then lost to Dejir in straight sets. So he won a couple of matches there at the ATP level. Then the U.S. Open, beat Ramos Vinolas, and then lost to Jari in four. And then after that, ended up going back to challenger events. And he has been absolutely cooking ever since he went back to challenger events. So to go through the actual results here, he's had a couple of tournaments where he immediately won like two or three rounds, then lost right after that. So no titles. But then you get into Knoxville in November, and that is where he hit another gear. So he beat Tomich in the first round. Tomich has had a pretty good year in the challenger circuit, so ended up winning that one. Then eventually won the tournament. So he won all five matches in Knoxville. Then about... One day off in between, went to Champagne for another hardcore event. So one day off in between, and he ended up making the final, and he lost in the final to a Kipson. But the point is, he won a title and made the final in back-to-back challengers, and now he's entering this event. Now, you can argue, once again, that he still has not shown enough against great competition. So would he be able to beat the likes of Phils and or Stricker in a match of this caliber? And you can argue no. But the point is, this group is a lot weaker than the green group. And I do think that Van Ash, who's been a guy that has been resilient. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. I don't want to compare him to Schwartzman because it sounds like I'm just doing it solely based on his size or lack thereof. But the argument is Van Ash isn't exactly a great uh, server by any means. And his strokes can be a little bit weak in terms of power. But he's very consistent. And you can make an argument that with the young players here, Van Ash does have the game to force... The guy's to hit extra shots, doesn't really beat himself that much, and Van Ash could make a deep run if Majedovic, for example, does self-destruct. Shelby, I'm really not concerned about, so I think Mickelson is actually my pick to win the group based on the combo between good serve and good form. I'm going to go with him at plus 190. Majedovic really has the game to beat Van Ash, and I do think that you can make an argument, Majedovic, if, once again, he is able to keep his composure is a dark horse to win the whole thing. But based on current form, I'm just a little bit scared off by him, and Van Ash is the opposite. The upside isn't always there, but the consistency is. So the question is, do I really feel great about taking the consistent guy with less upside to win the group, or taking the guy with a good serve who's volatile to actually get the job done? I want to quickly look at Van Ash's form recently. I know it's definitely been better than Majedovic's, but I want to compare... I might honestly end up pivoting and go to Majedovic after I kind of said I wasn't going to take him earlier. But let me just quickly see what the 
uh, form is of Van Ash out of curiosity. So Van Ash's recent form ended up going to Mets, won a couple rounds, beat the Zanschul, beat Waranka. It was a miracle to beat Waranka because Waranka got injured with a couple match points in the tiebreaker in the second set, then lost to uh, Urbear in the uh, next round in three sets. Fun match. Urbear was on a dream run. Happens, but he ended up losing that one. Lost to Dejir in Paris in three. Lost to Schwartzman in Shanghai in three. Uh, in challenger level, had a good run in uh, France. Lost to Draper eventually, but Draper is a really good hardcore player. The point is he's in good form. I, I think I'm going to go with Van Ash. I decided that I'm going to go with the consistency at a guy with a pretty good price. The issue is, once again, the lack of stature can result in some issues winning return games. So I might that might come back to bite me. If Majedovic wins the group, I'll be pissed. But I do think that based on current form, I'm going to go with plus 210 for Van Ash. So once again, I am going to go pretty chalky. I wasn't trying to do that. But I do think there is some talent disparity between the top two in the green group, a pretty substantial margin between Phils and Stricker to Nardi and to Kaboli. Red group's interesting. Mickelson's my pick, but once again, he is kind of unproven. So you can make an argument that he might struggle or at least lose a couple heartbreakers. But I do think his game is peaking at the right time, and I do think that he's going to be a future top 20 guy in American tennis. So I think that he's going to be my pick. I'm going to go with Van Ash as my second choice. If Majedovic does win the group at 275, I'll be kicking myself but those are going to be my picks. So once again, the favorite two in each group give me the Phils and Stricker combo at plus 130 and plus 190 and give me Mickelson and Van Ash at plus 190 and plus 210. That's going to wrap it up for this actual uh, breakdown of the groups. Now it's time to break down the actual winners of the event. So Phils is plus 225. Stricker's plus 350. So that tells you once again, my exact inclination was right that these two players in the same group are easily the best two players here. And I do I do think personally, whoever wins the Phils and Stricker, uh, I can't even say wins the group because both of them can still get in. You can still win the You can still make it to the next round without winning the group. But I do think that Phils or Stricker is going to win this event. Mickelson's intriguing if you do think once again that he can showcase his good serve and I feel like one underrated aspect of Mickelson's game, which was on display in Rhode Island, was his overall discipline. He's very good at rallying, and it feels like he knows when to not go for broke. And that definitely is an underrated element of his game that I wish a lot of other players had, whether they were young or whether they were older. A lot of guys seem to punch shots when the rally gets long. Mickelson really doesn't do that. He's not afraid to keep the ball in play. He lets his length and his reach do a lot of damage as he's able to keep extra balls in play. And I do think that the serve is a nice complement to that willingness to rally in return games. But I think Mickelson, once again, is pretty live to win this. Van Ash, I don't see winning. I don't think he's going to beat Phils or Stricker. He doesn't need to win the group, but I think he's going to lose in the semis, best case scenario. Majedovic at 7-1 to one is interesting. If, once again, you think he can piece it together, I think he's going to struggle at some point, either against Phils or against Stricker. But I think my main picks for this one are actually going to be the favorite here. Once again, I apologize for being relatively chalky in the final event that we're going to cover, but I think there is definitely a drop-off in talent after the top two, two and a half. So I think Phil's at plus 225 is a very solid price based on his form and how good he has shown himself to be so far this year. Stricker, I'm going to go with for the experience and once again, his serve being very useful in these uh, shorter sets individually format. So give me the main two guys there, once again, from the group I just mentioned. Uh, Phil's at 225 and Stricker at 350. And I will take Mickelson 
at six to one. I do think Mickelson, even though he's probably going to lose to Stricker or Phils, if it is Stricker, you might see some breakers, and Mickelson can win a breaker or two, especially with his style of play. So I think I am going to go chalk, give me those three, and hopefully one of them gets it done. But that's going to wrap it up for this actual episode, at least for the outright portion. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks for some matches, but for intending that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers is available now in over 14 states plus Ontario, Canada. Bet Rivers is some of the best live betting markets in the space. Their betting menu is second to none, including a ton of props. And depositing and withdrawing is super easy on Bet Rivers. Sign up using our link to get a risk free bet up to $500. Just go to sportscampockets.com slash Bet Rivers. Sportscampockets.com slash Bet Rivers. Problem gambling? Call 1 800 Gambler. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, remember to use the promo code SGPN. Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger, more betting smarter at the NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary par- uh, parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com or use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for the next-gen ATP Finals. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for some matches. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup between Shelby and Van Ash. And for this one, I am going to go with Van Ash team total over 12.5 games at minus 120. Now, this does mean that Van Ash I have winning, most likely, but I do have him not to win in straight sets. I do think that Shelby is decent enough to actually win a set, and you're looking at the current form of Van Ash, he's been winning, but he drops a lot of sets. So he dropped a set against, uh, he lost to Orbear in three, lost a set to Arenka, lost a set to Dejan Shulp, ended up losing two sets to Dejir, lost two sets to Schwartzman. So he's lost at least one set in five straight matches. Yes, against good competition, but the point is it is going to be a weird format first to four. I think Van Ash's serve is not good enough to consistently hold, and I do think that Shelby can grab a lead in a set or two. Do I think he's going to win the match? No. I think Van Ash is going to wear him down, but I do think that 12.5 is basically telling me, do I think Van Ash buries this guy? I don't. I think he's going to win, but I think it's going to be a little bit more tricky than people anticipate, and I do think that Shelby's in decent form recently. So give me Van Ash, team total over 12.5 games at minus 120 as my lock. For my dog, not many dogs to actually choose from. By the way, I did, forgot to mention, since this is being uploaded pretty close to the start of the first match, the Phils and Nardi match, I purposefully chose the two matches in the red group, starting at noon and starting at uh, 1.20 p.m. Eastern time to give everybody extra time to get the bets in. So I did factor in the early start times of the green group, and as a result, I'm staying away. Uh, looking at the actual... Dog for this episode, though, not many dogs I was tempted by, but I am going to go with the first set tiebreak in the Mickelson and Majedovic match. So that is an over six and a half games. Reminder, it's not 12 and a half, it's six and a half. 
but I am going to go with that at even money. Simply put, I see a lot of tie breaks in this match. To go through the actual odds of some breakers, the match to have two tie breaks in the match is minus 188. So I should say at least two. So they are expecting a decent amount of four threes, and I do think that there's going to be a feel-out process. Mickelson is a pretty good server. Majedovic is a good server. I see a feel-out process, and I do think that you're going to see both guys hold pretty easily in the first set. Give me the first set tiebreaker at even money as my dog. So once again, the lock dog for the show, the lock's going to be on Van Ash team total over 12 and a half games at minus 120. And my dog is going to be on Mickelson and Majedovic first set tiebreak or over six and a half games at even money. That's going to wrap it up. A reminder for the actual schedule with the, with the rest of the event. We are going to be back for the semis of this tournament. Going to copy the same idea or format as the original ATP final, but it's really tricky to break down these matches when it's first to four once again. It's three out of five. It's a bit weird to actually do. So I am going to once again be away from this podcast for a couple of days, waiting for the semis to start. But until then, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts of the network, the NBA show, NFL show. You get the point. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.